Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hi there, this is Fei Wu, and welcome to another episode of Face World. So I apologize in advance. I know it's been two weeks since I published an episode. I always feel so guilty. Uh, perhaps I've been saying this a lot, and if you're a content creator, I hope that resonates with you. People always say, consistency, it's very important. But when life happens, which it did for me because most recently I purchased a home. So uh, this was a first home for me. I am a first-time home buyer. It's a thing in the U.S. And it's just so liberating to be able to do that. And I definitely want to give you guys some updates on what that journey has been like. And uh, this is more of an exclusive update that I'm sharing here on my podcast because I love my listeners. And this isn't something that I'm always comfortable sharing on social media. It sounds very strange because... It seems on social media, I go live all the time. I'm very raw, very minimum when it comes to uh, my production, which means, you know, my producer, Herman, is super talented, but he and I decided that there is going to be content where we release on a more raw format. We don't want to, you know, overproduce uh, certain segments such as the way we go live. And then what happens is once we go live with uh, these folks you're about to hear, well, today in particular, you're going to learn from Dr. Claudia Consolati. Before we get there, I really want to use this time and take my time to share some updates from FaceWorld, the FaceWorld headquarters right here in Boston, Massachusetts. And if you don't want to actually hear these updates, by the way, what you can do is simply fast forward, you know, five, about five, 10 minutes in, and you'll be able to dive right into the episode. So it's completely up to you. Um, so if you're new, by the way, we have a lot of new listeners every single week. Um, we also have returning listeners, but you know, for the first few years of my podcasting journey, I forgot to acknowledge and address all the new listeners until I look at my analytics it's like, boom, you know, 80%, 70% of the people are brand new listeners. So uh, if I didn't acknowledge you or in your journey of joining me here on Face World, I really want to apologize. And I have, I believe that I have, and I'm on a journey of transforming my own business because I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. And, you know, you never really hear about uh, a lot of these things that goes on behind the scenes of an entrepreneur of any kind, whether you're a content creator or, you know, general creative entrepreneur of your fitness and dance instructor, you don't really hear the struggles. And I actually always enjoy listening to them for some reason. You know, I try to find them on YouTube. I try to read those articles. But more often than not, I have those conversations offline with these entrepreneurs. It's just so exciting. With that said, was promised before we dive into my conversation with Dr. Claudia Consolati, 
is that I recently purchased a home. In fact, by the time you're listening to this, I am still probably in that process. My move-in isn't going to be until September, and I have some special guests coming over uh, who's actually editing this right now. I am just so excited to be hosting uh, my producer, Herman. Uh, you know, really, he's going to be the first visitor to this new home, and we are thrilled. And we, meaning me, uh, my partner Adam, my mom, Xiang um, Li, who's an artist. I don't know how to even describe it if you're listening to this and you have purchased a home in the past. I don't know what the process was like for you. Maybe it was very liberating. Maybe part of that it was painful. But here was my journey, and I learned so much. I think of myself, right, working as a 10, you know, a, a digital marketer for the past decade more than a decade. I know how much I've learned, not just every year, but every month, every every day even. And I could not believe how much knowledge and information that went into purchasing a home. What we saw on a, you know, Redfin or Zillow, that's only one picture. The pictures usually and almost always look pretty awesome until you get to the home. Uh, the homes themselves could look very different. And there's another trick is we always try to cheat a little bit by looking at Google map, not just the map part, but satellite pictures. And you realize like how different uh, they look in real life. And you go visit the homes. I am someone who easily fall in love with older homes. I live in Boston, Massachusetts, so particularly around the Northeast of United States. And there are a lot of Victorian homes, a lot of very, very old homes, by the way, to put that into context, uh, homes that I fell in love with were built in the 1700, the 1800. I know it's hard to believe that they're st- still standing, but as a, you know, as a first time home buyer, I definitely felt very excited and fell in love fairly easily. Uh, on one hand, I had to look at the price tag, yes, but on the other, I really didn't know how much work or potential work that could go into building a home and or repairing a home. So to follow uh, the advice of my dear friend, uh, you know, Jorge, and also my partner, Adam, I started to realize, and also forgot to mention my my agent, uh, Vaughn, who's been a friend for, for many, many years, to learn from all three of them. It was so crazy. I was so excited because I ended up pulling on my phone and just taping the things that they talked about. Uh, in particular, uh, Jorge is a geo engineer, so he really understood the foundation. You know where to identify the cracks, whether they matter or not. You know, Adam has been a longtime homeowner since '95, and then uh, my friend Vaughn, who is the the agent, taught me so much every trip in terms of what to look for. It, it takes minutes, right? It takes seconds for you to fall in love with a home. But once you understand what goes into it, then you can also fall out of love. So we ended up bidding on four homes and the fourth one was the winner. At some point, I got to say the emotional roller coaster was astonishing to me. I used to joke around by calling that the house or the home I fall in love with is called my uh, my real boyfriend. Uh, but I always needed some backup boyfriend in case that relationship doesn't work out well. I mean, it's not even a joke because especially when you don't have millions of dollars, right? If money isn't an, an, uh, an object, then you could probably pick homes more easily. You can even buy a couple of homes, who knows? But when you, you know, all of us 
have a budget to work with and you want to get the best option, the most out of that budget, then you are left with fewer options. Uh, you might, you know, most in most people's cases, you have to move away from the city where the places that you grew up with because the real estate may be too expensive for you now as an adult ready to purchase a home. Maybe you have uh, children. I don't have kids, but if you have children, you know, you may need three to four bedrooms so everybody can flow, you know, I don't know, float around in the house more comfortably. And maybe you want to host guests. That's one of the things I would like to do. You know, I have plans to uh, have guests who stay with me for a long period of time. And I want a big home. And most importantly, I'm building this home for my mom. When I say building, a lot of my friends say, really, are you going to start the, the house from scratch? No, uh, I really always, always wanted to build this home for my mom. This has been just so special because my mom turned 68 this year because of the pandemic. She's been living with us since um, December 2019. And for the past three to five years, we have been talking about, oh, let's just wait for a few more years to build a home. And I knew deep down what happens is that it's not easy for my mom to be 8,000 miles away from me living in Beijing, even though we do have a beautiful home there. And, you know, I grew up there. My mom spent her whole life there for the most part. But it was always so hard. And my mom is diabetic and has some medical issues. So when she's alone in the house, because my dad passed away, she's often just so alone. And she's friends with younger people in their 30s and 40s, families and friends, but they're also busy that she's not going to be the primary focus for anybody. The the idea that I can be close to her, even though this new home is 45-minute drive from the current home I'm living in, but it's 40 minutes as opposed to 24 hours and days and weeks to plan for a visit and only be able to stay for a certain period of time. I hope you can tell from my voice, I am over the moon. And uh, I'm, you know, if you're watching me on my YouTube channel, I cannot wait to go to different corners of this beautiful home. It is bigger because it is 45 minutes away from this very expensive neighborhood I'm currently living in. And that is going to be epic. I'm able to take um, so many videos, give you guys so many different views. Uh, so, you know, that is if you are into video content, um, but if you want to stick around on the podcast, I totally understand. So that is my heartfelt update for sure. And so let's dive into today's episode uh, with Dr. Claudia Consolati. And the subject that we covered uh, is called How Can Women and Immigrant Entrepreneurs Be Heard and Stand Out? So Dr. Consolati is a professor currently living in Philadelphia, and she's also an entrepreneur. She helps women, in particular women, women of color, women who have struggled, women who had traumatic upbringing and experiences who are struggling to really put themselves first. And so she is here to help, uh, in particular, women entrepreneurs overcome their fear of being seen or heard and so that they can grow their business and income. Her unique approach, blending, interesting enough, neuroscience attachment theory, and trauma healing, which supports women in sharing their voices to the world. So um, Claudia, she's uh, originally from Italy, like me, you know, came to school in the U.S. and stayed and just celebrating. I really, really hope you enjoy this conversation. Again, I'm here to support you, to listen to your story. And uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere on social media under Face World. That again is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. Thank you so much for, for listening, and I cannot wait to see you at the end of the episode and next week as well. Much love.
everybody. Um, this is Fei Wu, and I am here with my guest today. This is our pandemic stay-at-home chat with Dr. Claudia Consolati, uh, from who's currently based in Philly. Uh, welcome. Welcome, Claudia. Hi, Fei. Thank you so much for having me here. I am so thrilled that during this downtime, uh, somehow I had the opportunity to connect with so many people and Robert Zylan introduced you to me and to be honest, introduced me to a few people. And I found myself getting the call with you just last week and we're chatting away. We booked half an hour. We ended up talking for an hour and 20 minutes uh, on a number of things. But for those of you who have not met um, Claudia, uh, Dr. Consolati before, you can call her Claudia, I'm sure, uh, before today, I want to just tell you a bit more about her background. She's an assistant professor and her topic and her class is related to film, gender, sexuality. And um, But Claudia also has her own business, which is to help women entrepreneurs overcome their fear of being seen, heard, so that they can grow their business and their income. And that's going to be the core of our discussion. And Claudia is so kind to let me add some another category of people to this, which is, I said, women and immigrant entrepreneurs. Like myself, like herself, we didn't come from the same origin. I'm originally coming, uh, come from China. And Claudia is uh, born and raised in Italy mm-hmm. and came here. Uh, so it's just incredible. Thank you for being here. Thank you for allowing me to introduce you. Oh, you're so welcome. I I love the opportunity to chat with you. And yeah, our chat last week was so amazing. And so I'm very excited for today. Yeah. So thank you, Claudia. Uh, the, you know, as soon as we we got hop on this call and both of us start just inevitably talking about the same topic, it's like there's something going on here, which is we both run our own business. And, uh, you know, I say that right now, the core of my business, for example, is to help uh, executives, really C-suite and senior executives to transition into entrepreneurship. I also work with people uh, who come from that journey, um, you know, who have about one to three years of experience running their own business. And so I help them create their body of work, their online courses, and create more passive incomes. Um, you, on the other hand, helping women do the same thing. But recently you had a discovery. I want, I want you to kind of maybe share with my audience to Talk about what you have learned about your own entrepreneurial journey. Yes, it has been very interesting. And I always like to say that entrepreneurship is the greatest self-development, self-growth opportunity. And that if you feel called to entrepreneurship, it means that something inside of you is asking you to grow. And Mm -hmm. I've grown so much. I started my business in 2016 when I had finished grad school, getting my PhD for a couple of years and I was like looking for academic jobs and I had found my first full-time academic job. And I didn't feel like the buzz that you're supposed to feel when you find your first job. And I was like, okay, what is it? Is it, is there something that I'm meant to do? So that's when I started my business. And at the beginning it was like, okay, I have learned leadership skills being trained as a professor. I can teach other women to be leaders and specifically to, to speak up. So I became a public speaking coach. And I did that for a couple of years and I grew, grew it to be fairly successful as a business, but something inside of me wasn't aligning. It was like I was taking all these business courses that were conveying good information. It was like, that's how I was able to grow my business and learn the rules, but something wasn't fully aligned. And I had a really hard time combining my identity as an intellectual and academic and a professor and my identity providing the service. 
And so I shut my business down and I went within. I was like, there's got to be another way. Is there something I'm missing? And what I realized that is that I had chosen the wrong business model for me. I was just limiting myself to being a service provider in the specifics, like teaching skills around public speaking or writing a talk versus embodying my brand and all that I am and all the ideas that I have, creating content around that and then creating coaching packages and programs around that. So the way I explain it now, and I know we agree on this, it's like I had to switch from a service provider business model to a thought leader business model. And that's where I'm at right now. And it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because as an, as an immigrant, and I don't know how you feel about this, like sometimes we're trying to fit in. And I definitely wondered about this since uh, 2016, we started our business at the exact same time, which we found out last week. And, you know, I sometimes at the very beginning, I said, nobody probably want to hear about my origin story, want to hear about my immigrant journey, because the majority of the people that I was, you know, there's presented in my life, uh, specifically working in digital marketing, consulting, everybody is just American, right? Like they were generally, they've been living in this country for generations and um, people rarely talk about their heritage. I love every, every American is like, this little pinky is from, you know, I'm German, this much German, this much Italian. And so I thought maybe I need to tailor my business, uh, set up a message to a just broad audience. And, and all of a sudden, very quickly into starting my business, I realized that it is my origin story. It is about who I am. That's really powerful. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I'm so glad I can talk about this. Yes, when I moved to the States, I was like, my number one goal is to become American, yeah. as American as I can be. And I hated my accent. I was like, you know, I have a funny story that like, you know, maybe for another time, but I learned, I learned so... What I like to say is that I learned English in dive bars because when I moved to Philly, I was just like in my early 20s, I was in school, but I was like not in school mentally. And I was like, I just want to hang out. And I was like always studying in Italy. So like when I moved here, I cut my hair short and I was like, I'm going to party. Even though I was in school, I was finishing my undergrad mm -hmm. before I started my PhD. And so that's what I did. I found awesome American roommates who were new to the city so we just hung out and that's how I learned English. You know, I knew the grammar, but like I really became integrated mm -hmm. by hanging out and having fun. And I was like, I am so American because I go to dive bars, right? And then th <laughs> thankfully I like, you know, I got my PhD from an Ivy League school. So like my English mm -hmm. got polished up and it became a lot more sophisticated, but that's how I became fluent. So yes, at the beginning, I was like, I need to fit in. I need to pass for American. And then little by little, I discovered that, no, my heritage is so important. And speaking of my voice, it gives me a unique perspective, which I'm sure it's true for you too. Yeah. And then something that it gives me and I feel people resonate with, they started resonating with it once I owned it, it gives me depth. Yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, I came here when I was 17 and uh, that was many, that was 20 years ago. Exactly. And it was just the desire. Like you said, I, I wanted to fit in. I played ice hockey because I just absolutely love the sport, not because I wanted to fit in. Um, but it just, there's, there's that you mentioned last time, there's a double identity that is so hard because I was reflecting upon this for people who are watching this 
we had a very different journey. We're similar in age. We had a very different journey than how 20-year-olds, 18-year-olds are entering into the country. It's ironic to say that during the pandemic, but you know, if there were to be educated in the U.S. today from other countries, they have their WeChat, WhatsApp, you know, infinite data. They can be in touch with their parents. We didn't. I had phone cards. I did not have a cell phone. I remember walking around in the middle of Maine and said, if I get eaten by a bear, nobody will even even find out about this. You know, um, it was just challenging that one, on one hand, there's that this American culture that that looked and felt different than what I saw and learned on TV. And there is that traditional expectation. Like, how, how did you deal with that double identity? Like, did you stay in touch with your family and friends back in Italy? Or like, how did you have your own breakthrough? Yes, absolutely. I was in touch, but like the first few years, I was like, I just want to integrate in the culture here. And it's only recently that I was like, no, actually, there's this huge other side of me. And most of my friends are American. So often I'll forget that I'm an expat. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, there's this huge other side of me. And maybe it's time to really reconsider my heritage. I'm always in touch with friends and family mm-hmm. in Italy. So we're, we're very close. And it's so much easier now. But, um, you know, I think we have this unique perspective that, you know, speaking in business and branding terms, we can integrate in our brand Mm -hmm. uh, to help the people that feel called to Mm -hmm. work with us. I know last time we talked about self-promotion and the countries that we come from, that is not a thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's not (laughs) a thing. In most most parts of the world, self-promotion is not a thing. (laughs) So this is very like extroverted, very visible branding process that's very popular in the U.S. And first of all, if you're an introvert, you might not fit into that. That might not resonate with you. But then if you come from a different country, Mm -hmm. you know, that thing, promoting yourself and your services and talking about that is seen as selfish, you know, just like Mm self-congratulatory. It's not a thing. So there are specific blocks that when I work with women from different backgrounds, Mm -hmm. they have to overcome because of their cultural heritage. So I want to kind of dive in there a bit because I think definitely, I think as a result of myself being an immigrant and my audience on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, they're not just Chinese or Asian, but also today I have a lot of friends um, who are Hispanic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from South America, from Asia, from, you know, Africa. And how do you approach someone who's ready to work with you? And we, we will define that a little bit better too. But if somebody signs up for your service and who is very well aware that she is blocked mm-hmm. and how do you approach that? How do you initiate that conversation? So I'll usually follow, if she's aware that she's blocked, then mm-hmm. she's ready to work with me mm-hmm. and do the work of undoing those blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, if she's not aware yet, she should consume my content first mm-hmm. right. uh, because that is educational in that direction. But then the next step is having one-on-one support. So the blocks, my the whole foundation of my business, and that's how I switched from like service provider, just offering like three tips to present on stage and that kind of stuff. It just like, there's nothing wrong with that type of content. It just wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, so my whole thought leadership that is really the foundation of my business is that women have very specific blocks to finding their voice and sharing their voices with the world. And I focus specifically on women entrepreneurs because I am one and I know they have to create a lot of content. And in many 
many times they are the face of the business. So they'll have to post selfies or like go live on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook. You know, there's a lot of visibility, which again, I think it's your soul calling you to heal what you need to heal so that you can be, um, you can kind of like show the path for the transformation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So these blocks come from family programming. We've, you know, Many kids are raised with the idea that they have to be seen and not heard. This is especially true for girls. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that we either collapse our voice or we explode it. The collapse is like you internalize it and you're like, my voice doesn't matter. I'm just going to like stay in my room and read, which is what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Or if you're the explosive type, you're like, you're the one who's considered too much. You're yeah. too bossy. You're too loud. And then maybe you act out. Yeah. Uh, as a self-sabotaging behavior in life and you cannot follow through. That's so true. I've noticed that that behavior in teenage girls, like when I go to the gym, I notice two things. Either when I talk to young women, either I cannot hear them because they're so quiet or they scream so much when they get together. I'm like, I'm sorry, but you need to lower your voice or shut up. Like even like guilty as I I feel, I feel like that there's such a, you see that spectrum so early, so early on in our lives. So early and what happens, you know, because women in our culture, so there's family and then there's culture and in culture, mm-hmm. we're kind of like stuck between these two paradigms that don't serve us. We're either not enough or we're too much and we're either voiceless mm-hmm. or we don't have a self kind of, mm-hmm. or we're kind of like the strong independent woman. But that's also what I think it is, is a trauma response mm-hmm. um, that makes you frozen. It's kind of like that entitled, like, my voice matters. And once you know that your voice matters, you're so grounded that you don't need to be stuck and frozen and, like, posture as, like, the strong, independent. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. You know, I I remember I worked with a um, psychologist when I was 26 after my dad passed away. And it was such a huge step because I didn't even tell my mom or my family for a long time in China because they, Mm -hmm. they did see it as a weakness. And honestly, the really only reason I went is because my company at the time was, you know, paying for the first six sessions. And, and I found out it was like $20 after health insurance. I was like, mm-hmm. how bad could it be? You know, um, otherwise I, I wouldn't be able to afford it, simply put, which I think, well, it's a different topic. But I find a lot of immigrants and, and women in general are living under um, such pressure without release because they don't understand help is is there or they simply can't afford it. Right. Yeah. Um one thing related to what you just said is my my psychologist figure out things just like you said, my own childhood trauma. And she said, Faye, you're 26. You're good. You got a full-time job. You're healthy. You can put the armors down now. Like mm-hmm. my armors down. Like you can actually let, you can let go sometime. You can go out and have fun. You don't have to, I was like, wow, that was so liberating. I was like, that, that's an option. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but sometimes it doesn't feel if we have internalized a sense of frozenness or like that we have to be guarded all the time even if we I grew up in a very privileged liberal family so like I was like pushed to be independent you know to have a career to really make it so like even in the best case scenario sometimes it doesn't feel safe to yeah. let the guards down and sometimes it's not safe if we work in corporate or in male dominated environments Mm-hmm. You know, like those environments are not designed for women yeah. to succeed. So we have to be extra tough. Yeah. Yeah. So like the core of my work is developing, the starting point definitely is developing the inner safety 
which really means healing your nervous system so that you can share your voice with the world. Whatever other people say, you know, at that point, it doesn't, once you're safe within, you know, you always have your back. It's kind of like therapy, but like, you know, I'm not officially a therapist. Um, You know, you have your own back and so you can put content out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I mentioned this before, but I definitely remember in my 20s uh, when I worked in corporate, I felt like people were super close with one another. They all love going to the same dive bars, <laughs> call back, doing the same things, you know, going through the same phases of life. Everybody was having, you know, in committed relationships in their late 20s, getting married, having children immediately in their early 30s. I felt like as an immigrant, and especially if you choose to be an entrepreneur, right, your timeline is completely off. Because the moment you become an entrepreneur, you notice that success and how you gain your voice just doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen necessarily happen in six months or even a year. And um, you you give up a lot of things, right? And I even I dared to say this, like I told my mom as she found out more recently, now in my 30s, I'm like, mom, it's hard to, you know, you know, not everybody will consider dating Asian people. I mean, I don't say this with any, like I have a lot of friends in Mm -hmm. every ethnicity, but you are the odd ones out, right? Like when it comes to dating, doesn't quite work the same way as if you were American. And it's not automatic, right? You you draw, it's like a, like we are a niche audience. So she's like- That's like, I absolutely, I wonder, I always like, I'm healed enough within that I can see all the negative stuff and I see the possibility though. And I can live in that space of possibility where it's like, we as immigrant women or just like immigrants in general, like we have this unique opportunity to Mm. see the truth of what is going on and to speak that truth. You know, Mm. you mentioned dating. There are so many rules in dating in America that I'm like, it's exhausting and it's designed in a way that doesn't promote our authentic voices. Mm -hmm. Right. Like how women have to show up in dating and probably how men too, like it's, it doesn't promote us sharing our authentic voice. It's not safe for us to share authentic voice. What's an example? I'm always curious, sorry, as I I hear this all the time from how Chinese women are interpreting or understanding the dating, you know, relationship drama, that process in the U.S. How does an Italian person see it, it being different than what's happening in Italy or Europe? Like what's the, what's the difference? Yeah. So full disclaimer, I didn't really date. I was more interested in like studying when I lived in Italy. So like I didn't fully date. So I don't know. I, my guess is that it's more like, let's hang out. It's not a thing. Like dating is not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you get to know each other and you get a drink or go to a restaurant. It's not like, let's go on a date. Yeah. Yeah. It's not already its own thing. Right. Right. And then I've done a lot of studies personally on relationships and there's this process that happens if one is not conscious in, I'm talking about heterosexual, heterosexual relationships mm-hmm. where one will become the dominant partner in terms of voice mm-hmm. and the other will undergo a process of, that one of my teachers, Harriet Lerner says, de-selfing, which is really not having a voice. <laughs> Traditionally, this process, this, the de-selfed partner is the woman. Mm-hmm. And this starts from day one, date number one. Where and I'm guilty of that. I've been on dates where I thought I had to play nice to not speak the truth of what I uh, was seeing and to not say what I wanted to say to be accommodating. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like leading, 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like I just somehow just painted the picture. I saw, I met this really attractive young woman at uh, one of my jobs. And uh, her name is Sarah without revealing her last name. And she's so attractive. She could really date any man she could yeah. find. Like, at least that's how I interpreted the situation, right? Very all American. And I remember she coming, she came back from a date, very young. I said, hey, Sarah, how did it go? She's like, oh, the guys, I'm like, oh my God, the guy's very good looking. And, you know, and then she basically said, oh, you know, he was talking about himself the entire time. I mean, like literally the entire time, didn't ask me any questions. I said, oh, okay. I said, maybe, maybe there's a chance, you know, maybe you can go on a second date. And, you know, she was, you know, she didn't want to do that, but no, what the, you know, what the heck? She went on a second date, the same thing happened. And she literally came back and said, I don't mind if I never see him again. And I, I was so proud of her for saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, she recognized at the age of 23 that there is an issue. Then she doesn't, she, you know, like she stood her ground. I was like, wow, something to learn from that. Like I will suffer for a lot longer. Before yeah, that absolutely. Happens. At 23, it's amazing. You know, the next step is like on date number one, when he's talking about himself all the time, you just interrupt him. Like, you know, I feel there's no space for me right here. How yeah. do you feel about that? Give him the benefit of a doubt. Like, you know, mm-hmm. are you being nervous? That's why you're talking mm-hmm. a lot. So like you can have a voice in that conversation. It's not just about removing yourself from the right. You can have a voice from moment one. And that's all about developing the strength within and the groundedness within mm-hmm. to just like speak your truth. And then like, if the guy leaves, it wasn't meant to be. Or if he stays, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't notice. Mm-hmm. Thank you for pointing it out. And you know, the right person who's worth sticking. It's not about not making mistakes or not being flawed. It's about repair. Yeah, yeah, giving feedback. And that's part of the authenticity journey as well, that sometimes it's, like that's part of the Asian culture that we were trained to, to, I don't want to use the word suffer in such a strong, as a strong word, but suffer has always been integrated in, uh, into part of our lives since we were kids. We're constantly reminded of that. And like, I'll, I'll tell you a quick funny story. I took my aunt to go get a massage, like as a, as a gift for her birthday. She's very hardworking. She has not done, like received the massage in like years and she didn't realize that in the U.S., there's like a little hole on the bed so you can breathe through it. And it wasn't really done right. The whole time she was like pretty much suffocating. And then she got yeah. up. She's like, oh, I'm so glad this is over. I said, why didn't you say something? Yeah. And she's like, oh, I thought I didn't want to make anybody feel bad. I Maybe something I was doing wrong. It was just like such a reflection of a joyful event, which made her feel like she couldn't, she couldn't speak up. There was a service to her. Still, she couldn't take it. Like... Oh, so eye opening. So common. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. So it's so common in women um, that they're more concerned about making other people feel comfortable and not ruffling any feathers than speaking their truth. Mm-hmm. And this becomes very problematic. You know, like this is something that I teach in my classes when we talk about consent mm-hmm. and sexual interactions. So, like, even like interactions where like, like a hug, you know, you might not want to that specific person to hug you, but then you let that person hug you. Mm-hmm. You don't think you can say no. So you have all these cases and, you know, I don't know if this is where you want to go, but like this case okay. is in the new, in the news with the Me Too movement where you hear about women saying yes when they should have said no, but 
I understand that they probably didn't have an awareness within themselves that they could mm-hmm. say no mm-hmm. in their nervous system. Oh, I definitely, definitely want to go there. Um, one thing that you mentioned, I ended up cracking up because it was so honest that you, you know, you say certain things uh, to me because, you know, based on trust, we just met. But at the same time, it's like, wow, I noticed that too, right? I think that's why certain comedians are so funny because they're true, is that you notice this behavior of um, men versus women's social media profiles, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, doesn't matter. So you, you notice the trend of, you know, men often posting a lot more about themselves, their interests, whereas women are always, you know, they're, even their profile picture, everything is that has their, their men in it, their babies. It's like, I, you're right. I, I have rarely seen a woman posting anything about themselves. Yeah. And this is like, you know, it makes sense until like 50 years ago, we only survived within a marriage. Yeah. And where we were provided for. So we did not have our own identity outside of this very institutionalized structure where we were providing, this is what I think, we were providing free domestic and reproductive labor, right? (laughs) That society relies on. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> domestic and reproductive labor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the word is labor. You know, when you, when you give birth, the word is labor, labor. So if we have blocks, I have so much compassion for myself and for every woman. So there's no shame in that. I'm like on a mission of de-shaming all of this because there's no shame in having blocks and feeling that like, oh, you cannot just get over it and post that video on Facebook. Mm-hmm. No, this is like, deeply entrenched in your body and in your psyche. It it wasn't until that long ago that you only existed within a family structure where you didn't have a voice or you had a voice only within that and not your identity of your own outside of that. So it makes sense that there are blocks to visibility. And like, that's why it's like, I had to heal all of that in myself Mm -hmm. and understand all of that in myself. And that's why I'm so passionate about doing the work that I do and the coaching that I do right now. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think what you're saying really uh, is resonating and will resonate even once we go off this live broadcasting. Um, There's one example I I thought about, like it was so profound for me um, that, you know, there's a company, I think it's called something period or something like allowing women to talk about their, you know, the menstrual period. And Mm -hmm. It was like such a huge movement. I remember this from like 2015 or so. Then it's okay to talk about. And it was shocking to me because I find that at least the women I've encountered in America, young women, older women are so open to talking about there's no big deal. Whereas there was such a stigma as crazy as it sounds that something that happens to every woman or nearly every woman, uh, you know, in the history of time. But I remember in China, like that, the amount of anxiety that I went through during that age, like I just remember like every day, uh, like leading to that period, I was really living in fear. Like I never talked about this actually because, you know, and, and turned out I was one of the first girls and it was just crazy that you can never be too early. You can't be too late. You want to be right in the middle. I don't even know what that means. Like that one year, what is that right in the, the, the six months period or something? And and, uh, but when I, you know, and just using my, my cousin, Shauna, uh, who's probably not watching this, she's mm-hmm. 10 years older than I am. She was, you know, 
13 years old. She just happens to be in China when this happened to her. And her her mom had just left China. And I was there with her, like literally in the cab. I'm like, oh my God, I don't, I just felt such a sense of protection. I'm like, I'm going to explain everything to her. This is going to be okay. And of course, she's from the US. Like she was born and raised here. And she was totally okay with it. She's like, I'm fully educated. I'm totally cool. I feel like a woman. She was so proud of it. And I'm like, what? That was such a groundbreaking moment. Like I prepare myself all these years to comfort her and be there for her. And and then she's like, oh, yeah, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's still, even in the US, I mean, this is what I teach in my class. There's so much stigma around periods or like, you know, how a woman's body body functions ultimately. If you think about like, commercials for tampons like you see like a woman running around in the field and I'm like this doesn't make sense at all (laughs) right that's why like I try as much as I can like Mm -hmm. to to show films in my classes where you see like you know there's a film that I love to teach where you you see I use tampon and I'm like we need to see that we need to Mm destigmatize all of this we need to you know I do believe that women's voices and women's bodies the way they're treated in society that is connected mm-hmm. they're censored even in the US that is more liberal compared to you know China or even Italy mm-hmm. they're they're policed both women's voices and women's bodies you know everyone is telling us how we need to look um how we need to behave how we need to sound you know we can be we're we're like we're objectified, you know, made into sexual objects, but also invisible because no one cares about our voices, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was like looking at the statistics about how much women speak in Disney movies versus men, and you know, Disney movies are all most of them are female led. You have Mulan, you have Little Mermaid, you mm-hmm. have Pocahontas. It's like twenty percent to eighty percent, twenty percent female, and eighty percent male in like Pocahontas or Mulan, which is like a female-led movie. Because mo- most writers most writers are still men. In, in yeah. the writer's room, uh, when I interviewed Ben Smith, who uh, wrote for the first and second season of Barry, the H- HBO show, and he said one of the, you know, the most profound experience as women, as mentor, as well as colleagues in the writer's room, which is the best experience he's ever had. And he completely advocates to say that, why can we have more women in the writer's room? And as a result, and it's just like, you mentioned all oh, the ridiculousness of uh, not only the, the level of speech that they're given, but also the things that are actually doing in movies. There's always a scene, My, you know, so funny, my partner Adam talks about it. There's always a man reading book, newspaper in the bedroom, and the women are always standing in front of like the mirror and like, you know, putting lotion on their skin is like, (laughs) there's always a scene like that hundreds of times. Even even if we grew up in a progressive household, you know, where the message is to be independent, to be our own person, then we consume the media. I was watching Cinderella Mm -hmm. and Sleeping Beauty. Um, We consume the media and the message there is like, oh, we should care about our beauty and we should care about our weight. And then like, of course, we spend our lifetime worrying about how we look and how much we weigh and what we eat versus like running for president. Yeah. Like creating our own business. And I think society, this is something I wanted to mention earlier too. We are uncomfortable with our own power because of the messages that we receive, because society is uncomfortable with women's power. And so our journey, which I frame it as the journey of finding and owning your voice, is really the journey of 
getting in touch with your own power. And even power is like such a loaded word that I use on purpose because I want to destigmatize power mm-hmm. and redefine it. Love that. Love that. Another, as we're getting into the women and their voices and how to really articulate their voices. So, uh, you know, working with you sounds like you're, you can help them unblock and then you can transition them to something very practical, such as uh, how to write about themselves, how to actually promote themselves, talking about themselves, their origin stories, their services, their impact. Something you mentioned last time, which is writing versus copywriting. Could you speak to that a little bit? It's fascinating to me. Yeah, it is fascinating to me too. Um, I think once you've unlocked your voice, Mm -hmm. learning a little bit of copywriting is not a bad idea, you know, so that you can, you know, adapt it in a way that's more readable to your audience, but still being true to yourself. But if you haven't done the work of really understand how to talk about your work in a way that feels true to you and you go straight to the copywriting, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't make sense. It's I mean, I use strong words, but it's kind of like violating your own voice in some way. Mm-hmm. And if you're not there yet where you found your own voice and you can apply the copywriting rules, I would say always go for writing. I like very direct communication and copywriting is not always that. I don't want flowery language. I want to know exactly who you are, how you can help me or how we can collaborate or how you're interesting as a person and for your ideas. And I feel copywriting all kind of sounds the same and it's trying to hide the core of the message and I'm all for truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as a result, in a very crowded uh, marketing or marketplace today, by speaking your truth, uh, will really cut through the noise a, a lot faster. And which is essentially, you know, what this, what this conversation is about. You know, how do women and immigrant entrepreneurs really stand out? Um, so... One other thing to kind of fast forward uh, that for women and you know immigrant entrepreneurs who are listening to this or you know really anyone who have started their own businesses, there's a common um, pitfall or where there's a common struggle that a lot of people have. This is you maybe a year or a few years into your journey. It's something called it, we call it, or you refer to it as a creative unifier which is people ask me all the time. It's like, Faye, so what are you? Are you a podcaster? Are you a YouTuber? Or you like to do films? Like to a lot of people that 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 doesn't make sense. And which I call it, I am a content creator. Now I'm a full-time content creator. Um, I like to create all sorts of content. And, and, you know, and then those, that type of content are for people very much like you, uh, for you, for me, uh, for creative entrepreneurs. And so, you know, what what's your recommendation, advice, tips, and and advice for people who are struggling with that? Feel like oh, I finally created, but I feel like they're incohesive, mm-hmm. at least not right away. Like what's going on? Well, the first advice I would have is like find a, the coherent narrative, you know, that unifies all those things. So for me, it's a voice. So I became very, very clear on my story and how to frame it around this notion of a voice, so that I could have a bunch of different offerings that all relate back to the origin story. That's why like the story brand, you know, you can use like the term story story brand, brand, you know, but like also in psychology terms, because I really like psychology and um, therapy, it's about creating a cohesive narrative 
which has a function in business terms, in terms of branding. You know, people can recognize you for your story, not just for the offering. That's the difference between service provider and thought leader too. You know, you have ideas about content and then you create different offerings, podcast, video, mm-hmm. YouTube, uh, film, versus just being a podcaster, someone who helps people create a podcast. And there's nothing wrong with either one. You just have to figure out where you fall. Mm-hmm. So creating this cohesive narrative as also has a vital function for healing your nervous system and creating a nervous system safety so that you can create your business, you can create your content from that. And the content becomes an expression of all of you, kind of like an embodied channeling mm-hmm. of the content because you're grounded in it yourself. So that story brand that might seem like a business trick is actually what gives you groundedness so that you feel safe within yourself to create your content. Mm-hmm. That's super helpful. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if I, you, you had something else to add to that. It's, it's um, something that came to me as, just as you were asking the question. I wonder, so I went from the story to the offering because I went from the ideas because I am an intellectual, I like ideas to the coaching and the offering. I could potentially see also the other way around is someone has a lot of different offerings and they're like, they don't make sense together. Do the work of creating a, a framework that is still true to you, but like where all the offerings could come together. Mm-hmm. This is great. I feel like we are, you know, we're, we're getting to the more technical areas, which a lot of people really want to hear. And e- even if it's not immediately resonating relevant to them, but just by hearing entrepreneurs talk deeply and transparently about their own struggles have always proven to be very helpful to me. So we talked about people who haven't gotten started, how to find their voice, unblock, find their voice. Then you're going to find yourself creating this big bubble of content, maybe seem a little bit all over the place. Uh, You follow something and you feel like you're shooting in the dark. Um, But then there is that third stage, which is begin to niche down a little bit. You know, it's important to know that it's absolutely possible to over niche, to find a niche that's too narrow. But for the most part, for most people, it's often about being too broad. And the reason is that, you know, the way we're raised, we want to speak to more people. So we think there's going to be a bigger percentage of people or more leads if we approach more people. Like, you know, one thing that I didn't want to do, for example, is I, I, I knew it wouldn't be authentic to me or my brand if I only speak to immigrant or immigrant women. I care about them deeply, but I knew that my message wouldn't be so niche down to that. It should be helpful and, and relevant to other people. So what is your own journey been like? Um, how have you learned about the power of, you know, uh, appealing to a subset of the people and people who are really hyper-targeted at the services that you're offering? What I found is that a really, really niching down. And I don't believe in the client avatar, like what they're reading, what they're eating in the, I don't care. I don't it doesn't, care. It doesn't work. I, <laughs> it doesn't work at all. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you sell cereal, you know, you want to see like the habits, you know, like maybe for very specific, in very specific cases, but like if you're offering coaching, for instance, like, like I do, like, I want to be very, very clear on the problem that I'm solving and what's the transformation at the end. That's all you really need to know. Mm-hmm. And for me, what I found is that, okay, I went through that process of finding my voice and figuring out what I wanted to say and what my thought leadership was. 
And then I'm, I found myself kind of stuck because I like, I have all these things to say, but I kind of like don't know how to target them. So I could say them uh, in a way I would write like an academic article, but that's not uh, what's going to resonate. You know, it might resonate in an abstract way, but it's not leading to business for me or real deep lasting transformation. So mm-hmm. I found that niching down on the problem and a subset of the population really helped me give a framework to all my ideas because I have a lot of things to say. I am a creative, so I love creating content. So it actually gave me more freedom to mm-hmm. say what I want to say, which mm-hmm. is, which can be a little edgy. And by the way, as an aside, I love that we're talking about niches and like thought leadership and periods, you know, diverse, you know, we're going, but we can do that because we're grounded in our voice. We're always coming back to ourselves. Yeah. So that niching gave me the freedom to really say what I want to say. Mm-hmm. And it's, yes, and we, you know, that there's also that stigma related, stigma related to money that I notice when I talk to men and women on, especially while going live, is people say, is it, is it okay to talk about money? Or to be honest, I spoke with people to say, hey, can we, uh, we can record this privately, but I don't want to talk about it publicly related to money. And that's just such a, it's such a fascinating area Two, that I see, I've come across people who charges, you know, a few hundred dollars for consulting versus uh, people I know would charge $10,000, $20,000 for consulting or $100,000 for group consulting over the course of six months. It's like so all over the place. And and then just earlier, I read this article. I've been following this woman uh, that was introduced to me, never heard of her before, Eleanor Armstrong, Eleanor with an E uh, at the end. And her website literally is a newsletter. Actually looks really sketchy. I wasn't sure what it was. It's like, sign up for my newsletter. Uh, and I did. And she sends an email every day. And the one that I got today is kind of interesting. She said, um, coaches often talk about you need your confidence, find your confidence to find your uh, find your voice. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't always work that way. You know, like to say that, oh, you should feel confident so that you can charge $10,000. She's like, Okay, there's a disconnect. So what, you know, now getting into the deeper end, like what have you been able to coach your female entrepreneur clients uh, to let them know that they are allowed to charge more? They're encouraged. They can charge more. Like what, what is that process like? I'm really curious. Well, first of all, talking about confidence, I don't talk about confidence. I think confidence is such a generic word. Like yeah. I don't even know what it means. And maybe it's like very personal and very subjective. I teach about safety. You know, being able to charge more is about, first of all, feeling safe within charging more. That it doesn't mean anything about you, that you're a bad person, that you're a selfish person or whatever, that you you lose love, that you're unlovable if you're successful or powerful. Mm -hmm. And then just like once you feel safe, you can really start to embody your worthiness And the fact that you're like a beautiful being living on earth. And so you're worthy no matter what. Mm -hmm. And you offer an incredible transformation and you should be well paid Mm -hmm. for that. The way I describe all of this is kind of uh, the specific words I use. It might seem a little airy-fairy, but like it's about restoring your energy field. Mm -hmm. So if we have a history of not speaking up, you know, kind of like the story of your aunt where she's uncomfortable, she's not speaking speaking up. And if we think that we have a bubble of energy around us that kind of like represents our own energy and like, that's what people talk about when they talk about charisma Mm -hmm. or being magnetic. What happens if we don't speak up for decades, 
that bubble of energy becomes weak and leaky. So Mm -hmm. what we have to do is restore that bubble of energy so that it feels whole and sovereign. And that happens by, again, healing the nervous system and then understanding that the bubble bubble of energy is like the transformation that we provide Mm -hmm. and is attracting more and more abundance. Yeah. You know, I I feel like for me, that's an ongoing journey and something that I feel like I'm learning every, every single day, really. And while living this pandemic, I feel that, wow, I, I do feel grounded. And I feel like there, like you said, there's that space of possibility that there's an opportunity for people like us to help other people to kind of see through the truth of themselves and help them become entrepreneurs. And it just, I find that this is such an exciting time because I think the the pandemic has really transformed a lot of us, like whether we chose it or not. We certainly did not choose the pandemic, but some people may say, hey, I'm not ready to work from home. I'm not ready to, you know, really do work at this way, but you have to, right? You're kind of, uh, you're pushed. So many companies are considering now letting people work from home and give them more freedom, ac- accessibility to their own home and their family. And it just, have you noticed that too with some of your clients? Like, I wonder how your service, your works have been transformed by this pandemic. Yes, absolutely. So I wasn't surprised by the pandemic, not the fact that a pandemic happened, but like the transformation that happened, I kind of felt like I went through a pretty intense spiritual journey of awakening a couple of years ago. So like, I want to say that I was with all the privileges that I have. So taking that into consideration, I didn't you know, I was still able to be a professor. My business was all online. So Mm -hmm. like I wasn't in shock at the transformation. But what I find is that more and more people are awakening to their true purpose. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, I know I've always worked the nine to five, but I know I'm meant to do something more, something Mm -hmm. bigger. And they've always had this nagging voice when they wake up in the morning, they're like, there's more, there's more, there's more. Mm -hmm. And maybe they think that they have to meditate more or like exercise more or go on the next diet or maybe even hire a career coach or work harder. But those things are not it. What they need is to find their authentic voice and their purpose. So the pandemic has accelerated the timeline Mm -hmm. for that. So actually... I haven't pivoted my business. I was able to become more of myself and really clarify my message for these times. We need, if you're called to do more and you think that a business is the right path for you, mm-hmm. uh, you need to hire me first and foremost, but then um, follow that nudge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The nudge, the little voice. That's why I'm able to be here right now talking to you because I followed the nudge, which didn't make sense at all. I was like, I have a PhD from an Ivy League university. I have a full-time job when the academic job market is not going well. You know, like everyone is telling me how lucky I am. And then there's this voice that I'm meant to do more and be more. And there's this other side of me that's not expressed. So Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is like, follow that nudge that Mm -hmm. the pandemic might have awakened. Mm -hmm. Now it's time. Yeah. And I think there's such an opportunity that you follow that voice. And I've had that voice in my head, I think, since I was pretty young. But I think pretty much the first day I got my internship, like my my co-op job, not even the first full, full-time full job, I just felt like, well, there's got to be more to life right. than this. 
And I think there's also an opportunity, you know, I start, as I started writing about that in general, it resonated with other people. So when you have that voice, chances are you're not the only one. So if you could not only help yourself level up, but others around you as well, you may just have a business. And yeah. And I think if you have the courage to put yourself out there, you're going to guide so many people through that transformation. And not in the sense that you become the guru or whatever. You're just Mm -hmm. modeling, Mm -hmm. having the courage to follow a different path. Mm -hmm. And if you're an immigrant, you know, like we followed a different path. And it's kind of a big deal to move from a different country. You you are changing timelines, especially if you're moving from like China to the U.S. or like Europe to the U.S. You're moving from a very traditional place Mm -hmm. to a place with not as long as a history with very different structures where self-actualization, if you have privilege, is possible versus a more traditional environment. So you're changing timeline already in that transition and you can become a model, a guide, a guide of sorts, not like a guru type of guide, but like you can model transformation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such an opportunity. Um, I, I find myself talking about this with my mom who's stuck be, stuck here with me because of the pandemic, but we really haven't had such a long period of time to reflect on my journey, her journey, like her transformation of sending her just turned 17-year-old daughter overseas without knowing when she's going to come back. And she just told me the other day, I'm like, I didn't realize she had something like my first year. I, I came here as a high school student. She had one year of tuition saved up and I came out here. She didn't, I was like, really? You didn't, you know, she, we didn't know whether I'm going to, was going to go to college here, which was extremely expensive, but she just figured it out along the way, like freshman, sophomore. And I realized how much courage and, you know, uh, coin toss. It was just unbelievable. So, um, Claudia has been such a pleasure chatting with you, uh, live streaming with you. Is there anything else you would like to share with whoever's watching, how do they find you, learn more about your work? So my website is called thewomenspeakupproject.com. So they can go there and there's a free guide also that they can download to sort of like start the journey. If they feel stuck, kind of like start the journey of understanding what that stuckness is, because most likely if you want to create something, you know what to do. You know that you have to post videos on YouTube, but you're not doing it. There, there are blocks and like I have a specific view on those blocks. So please go to my website and download the guide. And also uh, I'm fairly active on Instagram and my handle is dr.claudia.consolati. So you can find me there. Awesome. So great. Yay. So um, thanks everyone for watching. Uh, I'm going live with uh, a number of people that I absolutely adore learning from, speaking with. So, um, you know, we certainly are going to do this again very soon. And that's it. Bye guys. I'm going to turn off live now. That's it. So simple. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. 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 I love that we talked about periods and like. Yeah. I was like, I was like crying. Oh my God. I literally cried probably for days. I'm surprised because like, you know, teaching. Yeah. Teach girls from 18 to 21. There's still still so much shame around periods and stuff like that. Even in the US. Even in the US, like 18 to 21 is like, uh, it's not news anymore. You know, like, and it's just like, I mean, there's pain associated with it. There's just that frustration. And athletes, right? Like I, 
you know, like athletes, swimmers, tennis players doesn't track, you know, like just this just difficult, right? Like women have to navigate all of these things later on pregnancy, having a family and being taken out of workforce. It's like, oh, when does that end? end? Like, um, I mean, there's a, there's a YouTube commercial that I get when I very often, where is this, this Asian woman, probably like a little bit younger than us. She mm-hmm. says like, oh, I love sex. I'm like, oh, okay, very different message, but I hate my period. Mm-hmm. Why? You know? Yeah. And then yeah. I don't know if this is, I don't know what the commercial I gotta check it out. I love sex, but I hate my period. <laughs> but that's like, it's so wrong. It's like, even like the, I love sex. It's just like the way she says it, it's like, it's that, again, that, that empowered, like, kind of bitchy woman that, like, I don't think it's a healthy model. Like, the girl boss. It's oh, not- girl boss. Girl, I'm going to send you the article. The girl boss era. Like, my friend Michael O'Brien and I chat. I was like, we, we like, made me want to puke. Can I see another girl boss? But there was an article recently in The Atlantic about the girl boss being over. Being over. That's the article. That's yeah, the article. Yeah, that- oh, my God. Yeah. And, like, because of the girl boss, it's like you're taught to fit into a system that's thick. You know, yeah. that we need to change. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're truly strong and safe, right, that why do you have to call yourself or each other girl right. bosses? And then uh, call yourself boss. You don't have to be a girl, you know, like call yourself just boss. Yeah. <laughs> girl boss. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But like even with the period, like, yeah, no, like why? Yes, there are cases, you know, when like there are medical conditions and like, Mm-hmm. hormonal change but why don't why not have some education around all of that education you know loving our body and the loving fact that body. why women live 10 years on average i think 10 years longer longer than men a period has a lot to do with it like you know it's so interesting circulation like reducing zinc and like bunch of iron in your blood and like it's so in, it's so fascinating it's, it's also that same thing you know like yes yeah, society benefits from free reproductive labor mm-hmm and then says that periods are horrible. You know, the yeah. blood is like, ugh. Yeah. You know, so there's like, so we're exploited. Yeah. That's why like, you know, that's trauma. Even mm-hmm. if we grew up in the best possible family. Yeah. Our bodies are exploited for labor, right? Domestic labor. Uh, but then they're rejected at the same time. They're exploited for like the male gaze and guys' sexual pleasure. And of course, it's not all men. It's like the men of the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we don't have an identity. Whenever we, ha- we are empowered sexually or whatever on the period of body, what we eat, whatever, we're like, no, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I definitely grew up with a lot of anxiety for... I don't know how it came about, but also I grew up in a family where my mom's the oldest and all my cousins were boys until 10 years later. My my cousin, Sean, I mentioned as part of this, you know, she had her peer. She was like, she and I were 10 years apart. For 10 years, it was me and the boys, a lot of fighting, grabbing whenever we got together. And I always noticed that somehow my status wasn't either, like wasn't necessarily low. My status was just different than everyone else. I'm constantly reminded, I was like, hey, you can, I had short hair, very, very tomboy, like all the way skateboarding. And my grandparents and family constantly remind, reminded me like, you remember you're a girl, remember you're a woman, remember you're, like was so beat into me. Like 
I I already know. I mean, this is so stupid. <laughs> right. no I know that. Be, you don't I want it to be, and also like I want to be a woman, right? It's always yeah. like marker, but like, and a lot of like the negative messages come from our mothers and grandmothers mm-hmm. because the way they grew up. I mean, they had to be a certain way to be safe, you know, yeah. to be provided for and have a husband so that they could survive. So like, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's all about second wave feminism, which was all about, you know, what we now will call the girl boss model, like the strong independent woman who's like a man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was all predicated on like, I don't want to be like my mother because she was the housewife. Yeah. 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 Um, It's so so. extreme, right? That goes back to the either too quiet or you're screaming and like offending everybody. Like what, what about, you know, I, I noticed that studying computer, I studied computer science There were three women in my class. And I remember four women, including me, it was, oh, I could actually hear myself. Oh, what happened? <laughs> so it was, it was challenging, like to hear these female programmers always stand up in the middle of the class. It's like, I think the statement should be, th-. I'm like, chill, chill out. Like, it's okay. But then I, she felt the need and I felt bad for her because yeah. she felt the need to, to scream that to like, you're wrong. I'm right. Because it's just like so much anxiety being a woman in tech. <laughs> and that I believe that. And that is like a frozen, you know, if you think about the trauma response is a fight, flight or flee or freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a frozen response, mm-hmm. which means that your, your sense of self is frozen. Yeah. Well, it should be like, playful and like energetic and fluid Um, but I understand that if you're a woman in tech yeah it might be a survival response yeah yeah this is so helpful oh my god this is so great I mean I I knew I knew I would absolutely enjoy this so please let me know what I can do I mean um what we can do for each other and uh I I downloaded your ebook very happy to, I'll have a blog post and I'll add some of the, you know, Instagram handles to that. Really excited for both of us, to be honest. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm creating a separate website landing page just so that I can speak directly to exec, from executives to entrepreneurs, such an exciting space. And I want to see how that goes. And uh, I almost feel like, you know, the work that we do is almost in succession. Like, you know, I, they work with me first and yeah. then I could see them working with you when they're really like, like for me, it's like getting over, finding the courage and then the visibility. Yeah. Uh, but for you, then it's like, okay, let's make a plan Yeah. around us and actually create, create the videos and like, you know, so like I could see that succession. So if someone comes to you and you're like, yes, I can help you create the content, but you feel that they're not ready because there's something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll send them to you. Yeah. And if it's someone like, you know, I finished working with and yeah. you're like, you, you know, you want to amplify your voice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. And um, I exactly like you said, a lot of people I work with right now, they're already in into their six figures, um, you know, some of them into their multi six figures. And they do see it as an investment. When they work with me, they see it as an investment in themselves, but yeah. so that they can you know, not just be a entrepreneur working, charging by project or hours to work for others. They want to create a body of work themselves that people want to consume, want to come to and pay for. So that's, that's really, really interesting. So definitely I do have a lot of people. I'm like, oh, I don't think they're, you know, our own now qualifiers be like, they're, they're the wrong audience. They're not ready. So I would love to 
Yes. So like, yes. And it makes sense because you could have built like, you know, a six figure business Mm -hmm. trying to be proper and professional. Mm -hmm. But then like that voice inside, it's like, no, you should share your story. Yeah. But they have no idea. They're not clear on what that story is, what that message is, because they're still Mm self-censoring. So if you get a sense that someone might be on that path, Mm -hmm. I'm also in the process changing my I'm the process of hiring a business coach so like I can I can change my website and make it a bit more targeted not just like a feminist rant like just targeted to the problem yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. and then run maybe maybe one thing I'll just leave you with uh to consider which is a lot of us are trained to say you have a website you have a single website highly targeted clean you have your ebooks the reality of people actually make money is all of them use paid ads, but not just pouring money into the ether, but they are highly targeted with their landing page, like yeah. with the situation you're in. And not only that, they have not a single ad, they have multiple, multiple ads, like 20, 30 different versions of the ad. So they can see which one like ended up, you know, to be, to compete to the top. Yeah, They have multiple landing pages, right? We don't talk yeah. about that stuff. It's like, how did they nail it? They didn't, they wasted, quote unquote, wasted a lot of money to learn what doesn't work. And then they keep pouring money to the one that does work. So that's just the the truth behind all this. Yeah, totally. And as we were saying also, I want to have like more products to sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely. Guess- keep me posted on the journey. I will let I you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I learned as well. I need to send you some of the tutorials or articles that I find helpful. Um, and we'll take it from there. That sounds great. Okay, Faye, this was awesome. And thank you so much also for the video of our last call with the tube buddy. Buddy, yeah. Yeah, that was super helpful. Yes. Okay, let's stay in touch. Tell me like when you post everything. I mean, this thing is live, but then if if you post a blog and everything, I'd be happy to to promote it with my page, with my list as well, so that they can be directed to you. Oh, awesome. Yes, absolutely. There will be a podcast episode, edit it, and also um, uh, on to, so the podcast will go through like Apple, Spotify, everything. So that one is going to come soon. I just love this format that even though it's a little bit rough, that people get to see you and meet you right away. Yeah. Like, I wish I freaking did this like years ago. Like, what's the point of editing for four weeks, launch it and like recreate everything? Then people are like, yeah, yeah this is way more timely. And I feel like this is a whole other topic, but like I feel people nowadays really crave that authenticity. Yeah. So it's just like the super polished version of like one video every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like and we're like, just going live. It's part of like a thought leadership model where you're like, you're being you. Yeah, exactly. Just live, unedited. Yep. The world. Okay, Faye. So grateful for our connection. Oh, me too. Have a great rest of your day. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World podcast team, our chief editor and producer, Herman Ceballos, Associate Producer, Adam Leffert. Social Media and Content Manager, Rose DeLeon. Transcript Editor, Alina Ahmidova. And lastly, myself, the creator and host of Face World. Thank you so much for listening.
Take